Hello everyone, I'm Sunny Das and welcome to a Bookworms podcast, a podcast where we'll be talking about different books. So for today's episode, we'll be talking about The Illegal by Lawrence Hill. And for our guests today, we have Yuraj Baines and Gurleen Monday. So guys, what are your thoughts on the book so far? First off, I would like to say thank you for having me, Sunny. And second of all, I would like to say that I think the book has took a good turn in the right direction because it makes us like the readers will feel more interested about what has just happened. The first thing the book like implements is they show a lot of new characters and from the perspective of them. So for instance, we get to see Viola and John Falconer. And I like how the book is shaping out because a lot of interesting things happen, which we will be talking about later, I'm assuming. And I would genuinely like the turn that the book took. It took thrilling and more exciting to know what's going to happen. What I think about the book is it's it's really interesting, like how how the story is developing, especially like we started when Kita was only a kid, and now the story centered more around uh, an older Kita. And but uh, even though we've seen Kita throughout like um, a large large age in his life, large age gap. Uh, this one quote kind of kind of summarizes and applies to a large portion of his life. At all times, he had to be prepared to to run. I feel like even when he was a kid, this did apply to him. Like for example, when when the church was burned down, he had to run to keep himself fa- safe because Zantora land was not safe. And now that he's older and in freedom state, he still has to continue running. Uh, and at all times, he does have to be prepared to run uh, in case. Uh, the freedom state officials try to deport uh, deport him because that would only lead to his execution. So I think I think so far this book's really interesting, especially because of uh, its development and and how Kita's developing and how um, even some of the themes that were presented earlier in the story are still prevalent now. So personally, I like how this book tackles real life problems. For example, we see in the book that how black people get discriminated against in freedom state. And like this is also a problem in real life, as we've seen last year, because of like all this racism, it caused the BLM movement. So, and we also see in the book that white people they're like deemed as superior. This is also like something that happened in the past, like especially in America, like all the racism in the '60s and '70s. So, I like how it tackles those real life problems. So for this episode, we'll only be talking about what happens in chapters seven to eleven, and in these chapters, we're just introduced to like new characters. So first, let's start by talking about John Falconer, who's a fifteen-year-old boy that attends the Clarkson Academy of the Gifted. So after learning about his life, what do you guys think of him, and how do you feel about him working every day just to attend school? I think John Falconer is quite a brilliant, like young child. But I often think his brilliance kind of overshadows how hardworking he is and how determined he is. So, as you can see, he works at the brothel, and for a fifteen-year-old at his age, you wouldn't really expect somebody his at that age to like work at this kind of field, like a brothel. So, I genuinely think he works really hard because he has to clean the floors and he has to walk a long distance to go to the school and. He also does a lot of risky maneuvers. So, for instance, he was recording his documentation, and he was kind of like recording the prime minister and Yvette when they were alone together. And he took like it takes a lot of courage to do what he was doing, and he was just recording them as they would continue doing what they were doing. And yeah, I think it's really like he's really hardworking and he's smart. As as we could see, he won. The、uh, award for the best essay, which got him the equipment to record his document. So you can see his brilliance, and you can see how hardworking he truly is. And I think 
him working every day to attend school is really a good thing because Lula gives him the opportunity to earn the money to go to school. I feel like him working at this young age kind of builds like his character and like prepares him for the future where people like have to work a lot so, like in real life present day people work like a lot to pay off their student loans and student debts that they have to pay and so john at a young age is already developing those skills as he's working really hard to pay to go to school as he doesn't really have a father in his life as he left him at a young age and his mother is currently sick so he's kind of like being the man now you could say uh i also think um uh uh, John Falconer is a really hard worker and and is really smart. Like he's even uh, he's dirt poor. He can barely afford to buy breakfast in Africatown where he lives. But by performing well in school, like as you've already said, he won first place in that essay contest. Um, uh, he can earn scholarships, and those scholarships, uh, along with working for Lala, help help him afford uh, whatever commodities he needs uh, in terms of school and and to make his uh, documentary and. Uh, uh, that brings me to my next point, which is uh, John Falconer not only works uh, for Lala every day in the brothel uh, and goes to school, but he also um, is developing uh, a broadcast or a documentary uh, on Africatown and Santorland and the poor living conditions there. So I really like John Falconer. Uh, he's very hardworking. He al he's always uh, doing something and, and he's, he's smart and intelligent as well. So yeah, I completely agree with you guys. So I also think John, like he seems like a very hardworking boy as he's doing everything he can just to attend school. And as Yubi said, like, for example, he when he first gets into the Clarkson Academy, uh, he tells Lola that he's ready to walk five kilometers every day just to attend school. And if this doesn't tell you how much committed he is to going to school, I don't know what does. And also about him working every day at Lola's brothel. I feel like it's fair since Lola's paying for all his school supplies and like she's providing him with the place to stay. And like this is the most he can do to like pay pay off everything she's doing. However, I feel like it's unfair for Lola to say that she owns John for life as it's not like John's choice that he's like living in this in these poor conditions and that his mother's not there to like take care of him. And also, I don't like how uh, she, may, uh, like, when he doesn't clean the brothel properly, she makes him miss school and clean it again. So now, let's... Oh, sorry, can I just go back to what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I 100% yeah. agree with you when you said it's unfair that Lula says that she owns John. And I think what the author was trying to do here was he's trying to show us that life is kind of unfair and not everybody gets the same privileges that other people have in this world. And it kind of shows the hardships that some people have to face and to deal with. So I think the author one did thing, a good job of that. Oh, sorry. One thing I'd like to add to what Yuvraj said um, about about fairness and choices everybody has. There's a quote in the story that says, uh, "Some people have keys to this world, but Kita was not one of them." So I think I think what Yuvraj said really applies to that. Not only to Kita, but also to John, because in this world, not everyone's born born equally. Yeah, I agree with you guys. So now let's talk about Yvette and the Prime Minister at the brothel. What do you guys think about their interaction and what do you think this tells us about the country of freedom state as a whole? So I think this interaction is quite interesting and disgusting at the same time because Yvette is a minor. She's like 17 years old and she's with the prime minister of an entire country, right? And Yvette is also like, she's only two years older than John. So they're kind of like, they resemble an age. 
two years older than me. She could still be in, like, she could still be in high school completing her high school education, but she's out here doing working in a brothel instead. And this is because she wants to support herself and to get her identity card, which she didn't have at birth despite being born in Freedom State. So she kind of works at the brothel. And she, you could also, I guess, in a way, call her hardworking as well because she wants to work hard to make money in order to uh, be able to afford her identity card. And it's really important to have an identity card, especially with the amount of illegals running around in Freedom State at the moment. And I also wanted to say that I think their interaction was quite interesting because, well, when the prime minister brought in the briefcase, he kind of just left it unattended and just went inside. And and um, Yvette had like this hidden. was trying to sneak through his briefcase and she got caught eventually and so she was then being like her arm got grabbed from the prime minister and he started twisting it and hurting her and then lula eventually came in and ended the ruckus but she asked but the prime minister asked yvette for her last name specifically so she he could find her and he can deport her and eventually when she got deported she would this would end up being her demise as she was killed in prison in zentoraland so I also think that Lula's to blame because Lula's kind of the one that's pulling the string strings. She's the one manipulating Yvette to do her dirty work for her. So she can see what's in the prime minister's briefcase. And instead of Lula taking action, doing it herself, she just forces this all on Yvette. But tying into the corruption, I guess this tells us how corrupt freedom state is for like a very well-developed country. And it kind of like ties into the real world like we may not know what's going on in the background but there could always be like be things that lead to corruption i i agree with what you've said about about corruption with freedom states government like from their interaction we can see uh the president had like uh some sort of confidentiality breach like like his information was leaked uh or private sensitive information was leaked to yvette and uh not, not knowing to him uh also to john but uh, Yvette, uh, once once the president found out about Yvette doing this, right, he threatened her, and and he ended up actually deporting her, knowing that she would be executed. So so I think the government of Freedom State is really corrupt and actually really controlling. So when when someone does something uh, that they don't that they don't want, uh, something against the government, uh, they're punished and and swiftly removed. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So uh, let's. Uh, so you guys said how the government is very corrupt. So and, and as we've seen, Yvette, she tries to like go into the prime minister's briefcase, and when she gets caught, prime minister the prime minister gets mad and he threatens her, and then and he writes down her name, and then in the next few chapters we find out that she got like deported into Zentorland and she got killed. So I feel like this shows like how, how corrupt the government is, how much like, power the government has, how they can easily just get rid of someone like that. And Yvette, she was innocent. She didn't even like, uh, like she didn't even mean to like do this. Just Lula, t- she told her to like go go check the briefcase, and and Yvette wasn't even like uh, what do you call it? citizen of Zentorland. She was born in Freedom State, and she just like didn't have an ID card. So I feel like it's unfair for her to just get deported and just get killed. Also, like about the, their interaction, I feel like it was disgusting how the prime minister. One event for sexual pleasure and like 
this because like the prime minister is probably like 30 plus in age and Yvette is just a 17 year old and as you said she should be like uh, finishing her high school education and she's only like two years older than John so I feel like this was like very disgusting so now let's uh, talk about the marathon what did you guys think about the runner in the second phase ca- calling Kida r- racial slurs and what are your thoughts on how Kida handles this situation well, I, I, what I think is that the runner in second place was quite frustrated to the fact that he was losing. And he was even more frustrated because he's like a racist white male who sees a white, like a black man in front of him. And he, and like, because he's like racist, because he ends up saying racial slurs, he's like, I can't have a black person beating me. I have to be superior and I cannot handle this. So he ends up starting to say these racial slurs towards Kato. But I think Kato handles it like a champ. Because he doesn't really let what the other runner get, gets to his head. Like, the other runner wants to be in his head and to live rent-free in there. And he wants so he can maybe catch up and Keito would, like, turn around and maybe confront the runner. But instead, Keito just keeps running and running. And then he starts singing his own song. And I think that's a brilliant way to kind of, like, make the other runner even more mad and more frustrated as he's trying to, like insult him and hurt him emotionally but his mentality is just so strong that he just doesn't take notice and he just continues working on himself uh, working on the his race because he knows how important and valuable it is for him to win as he needs the money to treat his hernia and i think that it's a really mature thing of him to do is he just keeps minding his own business and he keeps trying to win the race and this really like must enrage the other runner as he cannot like just stand the fact that he is being insulted like insult being insulted and doesn't take any notice like he doesn't care that he's there it's almost as if he like doesn't even notice he's there as maybe the first and second place gap was kind of big so he's like he the keto pretends like he doesn't even exist there and he's just all the way in, ahead in the race i also wanted to talk about how keto while he was running he was just really concentrated and focused on on winning the race at uh as previously mentioned, to treat his hernia. That's, that's all I have to say. I feel like uh, the runner who was calling Kida racial slurs was not only trying to insult uh, Kida, but also he was trying to insult uh, the fact that um, Kida is an immigrant and possibly he, he was possibly an illegal in Freedom State as well, as a lot of uh, the black people in, in uh, Freedom State were illegals. Which it, uh, but i feel like he handled the situation very inappropriately and i'm talking about uh the other runner here and that's because he he called kita racial slurs and uh of course it was his method of rebelling against these uh these people coming into his country and and kind of like leeching in on on their economy but at the same time it wasn't really fair to kita uh he doesn't know what kita's been through and why kita actually had to uh go to freedom state and, and on how Kida handled the situation, I thought it was quite funny how um, Kida started singing singing while outpacing, or when he started to outpace the other runner, he started singing uh, as a method to torment him. And uh, not only could he ignore the other runner, but he could also uh, torment him and make him uh, angry uh, because he couldn't actually keep up with Kida while Kida was singing and having fun running. So <clears throat> what I thought of it is the runner he he called Kida racial slurs as Gurleen said that he thought Kida was an illegal which he was but 
that still doesn't give him a reason to call Kira racial slurs, but I feel like he did because in the whole country of freedom state, racism is like just all over the place. So I don't think like even if he says racial slurs, there's any like repercussion. So that's why. So he had no problem saying those words. And how Kira handled the situation, he was just like minding his own business, listening to his own music. He was in his own zone. But I feel like even if Kira like was directly paying attention to the guy, he wouldn't have like cared too much since Kira he's already been through a lot. He's already like seen like people get murdered, such as like like his mother and father. So he wouldn't he wouldn't have just gone hurt by like a few words. So, but this like doesn't ta- mean that he should have just ignored the situation uh, because others might actually get hurt by those words. And if Kira takes action, maybe in the future that runner. Like wouldn't say like any racial slurs to anyone in the future. So, as how when Kito is being called these racial slurs and there's no repercussion to the other runner, I just want to take note how there was also like a police runner as well, a black female police officer who was running, and another runner also called her these racial slurs, and yet she didn't do anything about like she couldn't arrest them or like pull them over and stuff because. Like it kind of shows you shows you the country that freedom state is how racism isn't a crime and they don't take it as seriously as they should have. And I also wanted to mention how you're saying that the other runner was calling her slurs. And I hope I wasn't misunderstood, but I definitely agree with you that just because somebody's beating us something, there should no be like there should be no racism at all in like competitions and sports. You should be have like sportsmanship and be respectful to others. And it's not like it's just the wrong thing to do. But tying into the racial problems that we see in Freedom State, he also calls him homophobic slurs as well, and it kind of shows you that Freedom State is not really, it doesn't have an inclusive community as well. So I also want to add on this, like as you said before, Freedom State as a country, it like makes me feel shocked as Freedom State is described to be like one of the most richest and advanced nations, and yet still. There's a ton of racism in the country. Kind of reminds me of America in the 50s and 60s, as America was also like one of the most richest and advanced nations, but still like struggled with racism. And other countries in the world didn't struggle with this too much. So now let's uh, wrap up this episode. So one final question that I have for you guys is: What do you guys think is going to happen next in the story? Any predictions? I think uh, Ke- uh, John Falconer, uh, he's developing his his broadcaster documentary, and uh, as we saw saw with the prime minister uh, when Yvette went through his things, uh, he he got rid of Yvette. He deported her, and and she was executed. Uh, and um, if we think or killed uh, somehow, but presumably executed. And if we look at John Falconer, he's trying to expose. Uh, what's happening in Africatown, what's happening in Santorland through his documentary and through his interviews. And uh, I feel like if the president starts to take note of John and starts to notice notice uh, him, then uh, he might actually decide to get rid of John in the same way he got rid of Yvette. So my prediction for the future is that uh, John will start having problems or, or some obstacles uh, with, with his recording because of the president. <clears throat> so my prediction is that I think... Kito's going to continue running as we know that it's his passion, but it's also kind of his primary source of income and you need to make money in order to survive in the world. So he's going to have to keep running. It's like he has to keep 
partaking in these competitions to keep making money. But the thing that's going to be slowing him down the most will be his hernia that he's dealing with. So hopefully he'll have the money to be able to afford it. And I also want to tie into what Galit said, as I agree that John Falcon is going to continue to make this documentary to kind of expose Freedom State. But it's also very dangerous thing to do. So if John Faulkner like makes one wrong step, like takes one wrong step, and he has a fault in his plans, then everything can come crashing down on him. Because when you're going up against a prime minister of like a very well developed and rich country, that's gonna be really difficult, especially with the amount of power and corruption that is already occurring there. Yeah, so I completely agree with you guys. I also thought the same. So I also thought like how Kida. He's gonna continue to run, and now, especially with the check that he got for winning the marathon, he's gonna try to deposit it and maybe just try to like treat his hernia as like it's all—it's giving him like a lot of discomfort, and he's getting dizzy. He can't—he's getting like tired too easily. So, and also charity, charity's still missing. So, Kida's gonna try his best to find charity as she's the only like family he has left now. And about John, I uh, I agree with Gurleen as like how he said John is gonna maybe get in trouble with the government like the stuff he's doing. But as like in the uh, novel we see Lula, she tell she tells John that he's gonna now start recording everything like for her like after she finds him recording the prime minister and Yvette's conversation. So I feel like uh, Lula's gonna make make him record more like. Conversations of like with the government, so and that might like get him tr- uh, trouble with the government. So thank you guys for coming here today. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, so guys, that is it for today's episode. Be sure to comment about what book you want us to talk about next. See you all in the next episode. Bye.